not telling you anything you don't already know. But it is hard as you read the Bible to find anything greater than the words of Solomon. They're all for good and God, please don't let me sound like I'm putting one over the other in the word of the Lord. But there is nothing in comparison in my personal opinion to what Solomon frequently said. I'm going to read this scripture from three different translations. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. From the message translation, by yourself you're unprotected. With a friend you can face the worst. Can you round up a third? A three-stranded rope isn't easily snapped. Just one more translation of the contemporary English version. Someone might be able to beat up one of you, but not both of you. As the saying goes, and I researched and researched and researched where they got this from, as the saying goes, I want to know what Solomon was thinking. Was he quoting just some common little quip on the streets of Jerusalem? As the saying goes, a rope made from three strands of cord is hard to break. I'm going to preach or teach this morning from this title, Three Strands. Three Strands. Pray one more time with me. Thank you, Lord. What you're doing and what you've already done. Accomplish your will. Your word and your work today, and we'll give you all the glory for it, all the praise, wonderful and holy and mighty and matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. You may be seated. Three strands. I want you to go with me this morning into the middle of a very tense meeting. I believe at least the emotional air was so thick you could cut it with a knife. One of those meetings where you have various thoughts. For one minute you might be glad you're in the room and then before long you wish you could find the exit. One of those type of meetings from Luke chapter 22 the Bible said, and while he yet spake, behold, a multitude. And he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, there's the tension I'm referencing. All we're told is comes to the Lord and tries to cover up his treachery with this greeting. And Jesus, knowing what he's up to, said, is that how you chose to betray me? And the Bible said, 
in no uncertain language. There must have been so much tension there when they which were with him saw what was happening. They caught on there. They saw what was about to transpire. They said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? Looks like a machete to you, I know, but that's my idea of a sword today. A very dull machete. Shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. What kind of meeting was this? Jesus was at his favorite praying place. Do your own research. Jesus loved to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane was at the base of the mountain that David walked on. Time and time again, David prayed on the top. And history tells us Jesus loved to pray at the bottom. What a meeting. Tension, pressure, stress. And it was only a few short days before this solemn meeting that Jesus had been welcomed into Jerusalem with Pomp and flair and enthusiastic parade. They waved palms and willows as he rode the little donkey in, on the streets of Jerusalem. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, they cried out. This is just me. But I wonder if Jesus, while riding into Jerusalem, that triumphant entry, historians call it, I wonder if he thought in his mind, yeah, they're praising me on Friday, but they're going to crucify me on Sunday. Don't tell me he didn't know that. He knew all things. What a moment. What a meeting. Jesus, Judas, this mob that come busting into Jesus' prayer closet. Maybe, just maybe, I'm meandering right now. The silence of the garden suddenly broken. This mob comes armed to the teeth. They're not here just to break up a prayer service. They're here to do something about Jesus. I wonder how many of us come to church to do something about Jesus in our life today. No, we're not, we're not going to draw swords with him. But we come to do something about his constant knocking on our heart's door. About him telling us, get our life right. Get our heart right with God. I wonder how many come to church today to do something about. Well, they did, Brother Luska. They came that day to do something about Jesus. weight of the world's sins is about to be placed on the shoulders of this humble Galilean. They had no idea what they were doing. From every side, it looks to me like the mob came for blood. 
stirred up by the religious right of the local assembly. Can I get an amen? amen. This military stronghold of men, they weren't there just to do this or that. They were stirred up by the religious circle among them. And with only the courage that Jesus could generate, in John 18, 4, he asked the question, Whom seek ye? What are you doing here? What you come into my prayer closet to do today? What are you doing here? Wonder if Jesus ever asked us in the prayer closet, what are you doing here? Stranger in your own hometown. Side sidestepping humor there, forgive me. Whom seek ye? And only Jesus, only Jesus could respond as he did right here in verse 5. When they said Jesus of Nazareth, it's in verse 5 and then again in verse 6. He said, I am he. Brother, we could preach a lifetime on those three words. That's me. I am he, Jesus said. Strand number one. Always starts with Jesus. Whom seek ye? We're come after Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't say, well, can you reschedule this meeting? Can we talk later? He said, I am he. And I love what verse 6 says. When Jesus said, I am he. Talk about a tense moment. I've kind of got a feeling. It was more than just volume. He didn't have a PA system like this to use. There's a mob in the room. There's a mob in the, in the garden. And they've got one thing on their mind. Stop him. He says, who, who are you after? Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And there was so much heavenly anointed apostolic, God-fearing, heaven-shaking, hell-rattling, window-moving power. It, it bothers me down to my toes when people come to church and sit bored. It bothers me down to my toenails when people sit like, what's next, pastor? What are you going to do now? And the person right behind you, they're being stirred up and shaken by God, moved on by the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about power. I'm talking about Holy Ghost power. And they went backward, the Bible said, and fell to the ground. Hmm. I'm saying if it gave enough resistance. Everything starts with Jesus. If you've got a job you like, you better be thanking the Lord for it. 
if you have finally got through something in your life that's dogged you a while, you better be thanking God for it. If you have finally seen some light at the end of the tunnel in your kids, you better thank God for it. If anything good is in your life that you can find, you better thank God. It, everything starts with Jesus, brother. Everything starts with Jesus, sister. Everything good starts in the same place. And he said, I am he, and they couldn't handle the power of the moment. Who could have? They couldn't handle the power of the moment. I, I don't mean to be ugly, and I'm just trying to preach under the anointing today, but I believe sometimes that's why some folks leave church untouched, unchanged, unaltered, not any different, because they can't handle the power of the moment. They start looking for other stuff to think about. What am I going to do later today? Power of God falling in you. These men were thrown in their mob fashion to the ground. John 18, 6. Pardon my supposition, but at the same time allow me. Something like this may have happened. After they got to their feet, maybe the ranks parted just enough. Maybe. They had to have gotten up from their feet. They didn't stay down forever. And maybe there was just enough parting in the rank of the mob that one man suddenly is the one in the garden all eyes are on. He's a sinister figure. <laughs> he's, he's the one that everybody recognizes the form and fashion of. He's the one that all generations will despise because of his loathsome treachery. He's the disciple that was entrusted with the meager funds of the twelve. Some people can't handle anything. He, he just got one job. The informer, the traitor, that money-blinded wretch. Funny that the mob couldn't do what they came to do. The religious right couldn't do what they came to do, but one disreputable. He's the one, Brother Joe, that Jesus warned over and over and over. And yet for 30 pieces of suicidal silver, he sells the Lord like garage sale junk. You can do your own research anywhere from $90 to $3,000, depending on what little article you click on in the Internet. 30 pieces of silver could have been worth as little as $90 today or as much as $3,000. If it was worth $3 million, you're about to do something here you can't retrieve yourself from. You're about to make a decision here there's no coming back from. Everybody else, they might find a place of remorse and acceptance and repentance. 
but, but you're about to make some kind of choice that's going to alter everything. I have a feeling, this is just myself again, that all eyes of heaven and earth were on Jesus and this man. Got to make a living. Got to seize the moment. Take advantage of the opportunity. Raises don't come around every day. Bonuses don't come around that often. Got a chance to get ahead. Got a chance to set my family up. Got a chance to put a few bucks away. I don't know that he heard any of those thoughts. Something convinced him it was worth it. Scratched my head a thousand times. Not forgive me for being uh, exaggerative, but scratched my head numerous times when I see people walk away from God. Like, what? What are you going to? What? What is it you're headed out there? There's so much better than what you have. I mean, your kids are under a hedge when you're serving God. Your wallet is under a hedge when you're serving God. Your health is under a hedge when you're serving God. Walk away from that for what? To start a business? Are you kidding? Brother, I can tell you this. Help me pray. This is the will of God, Pastor. Anything, anything that will bless you, I, I want you to have. But if it takes you one, one breath away from the closeness of God that you have now, I'm praying against it. You hear me? I pray against it. Don't let him get there, God. Don't let her go there, Lord. Somehow he said it's got to be worth it. I wish somebody would go with me on this journey today. Can you, can you just see his smirking grin? His sarcastic kiss? in the crowd what was going on between him and the Lord obviously was getting the attention of another man you talk about righteous indignation being stirred up that simply means one man was growing angry and he wasn't being evil in his anger he wasn't being angry just to get back at somebody he was feeling righteously angry. Unfortunately, my anger is rarely righteous. Mine. But that sarcastic grin, the tension of what they're sensing is about to transpire. The heat of this moment has got somebody else stirred up. It's curious to me that neither Matthew, Mark, or Luke do not mention the name of the one getting so fired up. They mention the occurrence, but they don't call him by name. Only John. Says Peter. Peter. Just couldn't handle the moment. 
Anybody ever feel like the moment got the best of you? According to any number of translators and um, uh, commentaries, they'll all tell you the same thing. Check the Greek. Peter means small stone. Contrary, you that are on Facebook today, if you're um, of another doctrinal persuasion, I love you and I care for you. And I, I'm not trying to th throw mud at anybody. But Peter was not the first pope. Why'd you say that? Because Peter was bigger than that. <laughs> there was something. Jesus was pulling Peter into something that was he was going to need heavenly help to be able to handle. It was not going to be long before he was going to stand up as the spokesman on the day of Pentecost and have a message the religious world has never, ever heard before. This is what he is, though. He's a little stone. But that little stone is about to lose his righteous indignation in a public demonstration. Strand number two. Always Jesus first. Second was Peter. Being joined at the spiritual hip. Forgive me, Lord. Being joined together in something eternity will not welcome others into ever. Peter. Only John tells us. And in the heat of the moment. Luke twenty two forty nine. we read it as a text. Jesus or Peter said, uh, is it this time, Lord? Want me just to put them in their place? Before he even gets an answer in verse 50, he draws out that sword and he just starts doing whatever is necessary to keep the moment safe. Someone said a glancing blow. I don't know that. Someone said an intentional strike. I don't know that either. But I do know this. The right ear. And it does not allow me to believe that Malchus was anything but a servant. The Greek word literally means slave. He was not a soldier. He was not a commandant, a sergeant, a battle-chested man. He was a slave. He wasn't there to get Jesus. He was there waiting on the high priest. Just doing his job. And this blow, whether intentional or randomly thrown, takes off his ear. Strand number three, Malchus. Jesus, Peter, I don't know how many people were there, but heaven's eyes were focused on Jesus, Peter, and Malchus. According to the Greek, Malchus means a small sword. So in the garden of pressure and intense prayer and sacrifice where Jesus is 
sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. This mob comes in. And you've got someone there that's a small stone. He doesn't even know the role he's about to play. And you've got this short sword. He's just doing his job. Sometimes it's funny where fate can put you. Funny where chance and circumstance can place you. Someone said, and I quote the writer, Peter's act of violence was possibly the beginning of bloodshed in the most mistaken case of identity known to man. He goes on. Historians have alleged, he says, as many as millions of Protestant believers have died in persecution and religious wars since the garden incident. Unquote. Wearsby, the commentator, said this about his remarks. That number is probably inflated, but not by much. Unquote. What does Jesus say about the sword bearing? Matthew 26, 52. He said, you better put that thing away. Because if you... If you're the like-to-fight person, let's fight. Always, always want to fight. Look for somebody to set your, set your will on. Jesus said, you better watch out. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Looking for someone to always push around. Just fight, 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 fight. Fight, argue, fight, fuss, 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 argue. Jesus told him, put that sword up. In my, in my words, the moment's so much bigger than what you think it is, Peter. What's going on is so much greater than just stone, a short sword. And right here in this scene of Luke 22, it's less than 12 hours, they say, Jesus will be nailed to the cross, 12 hours or less. Think about this with me. The stress of this meeting, all that's going on. I talked the other day, or at least, at least I brought up the subject of, of Jacob's story in Genesis where he had this dream and there was a ladder resting upon the earth and it ascended into heaven. And it wasn't just a ladder there for, you know, looks. He said there was activity on the ladder. Angels going up, angels coming down. And when angels are involved, as they are every moment of every day on planet Earth, they're not here just to be glorified. In fact, God's angels refuse to be glorified, refuse to be worshipped. They told John, get up off your roof. Don't, you don't worship us, worship God. But never, never second guess the purpose of angelic visitation or help in your life. Because the psalmist said the angels of God excel, excel in strength. And when God sends them down to get you out of the mess you're in, they're going to do exactly what God told them to do, get you out of the mess that you're in. They don't need my help. They don't need anybody's help. Gabriel said, I dwell in the presence of God Almighty. 
How can I help him? Think about this, though, in the stress of all that's going on here. These last precious moments of the Lord Jesus in his earthly demonstration. Bible tells us he performs his last earthly healing miracle. I don't care what translation you look in today. He did not perform one more healing miracle in his earthly ministry. So somehow, this slave boy, who's now got one ear missing, this slave, nothing more than an employee, just do what I told you to do type person. He's standing in august ranks right now. <laughs> He's standing between Jesus and the man that's going to bring the message to the Gentile church that'll change everything we do concerning worship. Slave boy. This man was the recipient of the last healing miracle Jesus ever did on the earth. I don't know what it looked like. I'm sure you have a thought in your brain. The Bible just said Jesus healed the ear that had been cut off. I have a feeling you didn't have to preach to Malchus after that. I have a feeling we didn't have to give him a Bible study. God, God bless his Bible studies. I love him. But I got a feeling he was instantly converted to the sense in his brain. You know what I mean? Pentecost hadn't happened yet. He became a believer. That's a better way to put it. On the spot. He's like, ouch, what? Brother Tiger, till my last breath, I'm going to believe God that at the right time, he can do exactly, exactly what he sets out to do. A severed ear is nothing in the hands of Jesus. Nothing in the hands of Jesus. An addiction, Brother Luska, is nothing to Jesus. Hey, a past that you are embarrassed to even think about, much less share with anybody, is nothing to Jesus. Absolutely nothing. We just got to get what's wrong in the right hands today. We've got to get everything ailing us into the right set of hands today. We've got to get what's hurting us in the right set of hands today. You don't need to tell the world. Tell Jesus. Take it to the cross today. Oh, and this, this slave. We don't even know his name. Three out of four, at least three out of four gospels don't even mention his name. But that same John 18, 10. Thank God for John. At least in this spot, thank God that John mentions Peter and Malchus. 
I'm talking about the coming together of probably the most unlikely of men. Burly, brawny, outspoken fisherman. A slave. So you know what that tells me, Brother Richard? Successful businessman, probably Peter. A, a, another man who has no hope. He's just, he's just going to serve all his life. He's going to be another man at another man's beckoning. No matter what rank, though, when you meet where it all begins, right? The result, Solomon said, is that this threefold cord. Oh, no, 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 no. Get me alone. I'm pretty weak. You get me in the right place when I'm alone, and you might see, hear, touch, taste, or smell things that you're like, huh? Get Peter alone, same thing. Like, that, nah, no way. But when you put him into the right place, and you start melting their life together. You start messing them into the right form. Even the world's strongest man isn't breaking that cord. Why didn't he choose the high priest? Why didn't he choose someone with an education? Why didn't he choose someone with beauty? Why didn't he choose somebody with a future? Why didn't he choose somebody who was well-spoken, well-referred, an honor in the community, an honorable citizen in the community? Thinks Malchus? Malchus? Here's what I get out of the story. This Jesus that everything starts with, he's the savior of all men. Broken, lost, wounded, diseased, hurting, outcast, disreputable, even those family members you can't stand. Even those people in your family that wounded you. Even those people in your home that you, you think, I'll never forgive that person what they did. He is the Savior of all men. All men broken and lost. and God of heaven. Are you kidding me? The last miracle you'll ever do you're going to do it on Malchus. You talk about destiny. I wish I could find my destiny. You talk about eternal destiny. You bring up the subject, miracles of Jesus. Sooner or later, you've got to get to this chapter. When he was buried and before he ascended, last earthly healing miracle he did was on a servant boy. Hey, visitor. <laughs>
ask forward to your life today. The cure he gives us is not Pentecostal hype. The remedy he's offering you today isn't church speak. Peter later wrote it like this. 1 Peter 2.24 That by his stripes we are healed. It's more than just emotional wounds. We've all suffered them. It's more than physical wounds. We've all been there. It's worse than anything you've ever been through. Surgically, he knows. I'm talking about the wounds that are deeper than all of that. He can get behind every wall, every barrier, every obstacle, every hindrance, every everything we're hiding. By his stripes. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It's kind of hidden there in Matthew 8, 16. Especially in Pentecostal circles, Brother Mike Lake, we've got this image. It came from Hollywood, but we've got this view that, that spirits, things that disrupt and get out of hand, you know, you see wrestling going on, and I've, I've, seen, I've witnessed it all. I've been part of that stuff. But the scripture just jumped all over me one day about 25, 30 years ago. Jesus cast out spirits with his word. Wonder when he said, I am he. When Jesus speaks, it does it, it affects our life, but it goes into the spiritual realm too. Demons hear when he speaks. Hell trembles when he speaks. Powers bow their knee when he speaks. He casts out the spirit with his word. And he healed all that was sick. The apostle Paul said it this way, Romans 5 verse 20, that where sin abounds... Somebody ought to love that verse. Where sin abounds. He didn't just say shows up and trickles in. Abounds. Addictions. Control. Can't get yourself out of the mess you're in if you wanted to. Abounds. Unfortunately, in this religious world we're in today, they think that that grace is simply there whether they ask for it or not. That's not what Paul is saying. Where sin abounds, God's grace does much more. So, so I said that to say this. If you're really looking for an answer today, if you're really looking for a way out today, I told you last Sunday that a lot of people, the doctor said, they die physically because they don't seek treatment soon enough. My doctor told me that. And whether that's true or not, I'm not here to argue. But I do know this. It's never too late. It's never too late for us to seek this kind of treatment. Come, Jesus. Come heal my heart. Come heal my family. Come heal my ministry. 
Come heal my health today. It's never too late. Tiger, it's never too late. It is not too late now. All he's wanting to do is make this cord unbreakable for you this morning. You know what happened? Check this out, Brother Trace. No one would have known this storyline, but the coming together in this place of prayer, a sword, stone, and as the translator put Jesus, means the deliverer, here comes Jesus. Again, pardon me, I don't mean this to be ugly or attacking. But accept Jesus? Are you kidding me? It's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. If that's where you started out on your spiritual journey, good. But it's so much deeper than a simple mental acknowledgement. Peter, Malchus, and Jesus cling to the crucified. Bless your good name, God, today. We're grateful. We're eternally grateful to you, Lord, because you alone can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or even think according to the power that worketh in us. Oh, God, I'm so thankful. I'm so appreciative. I'm so grateful because you, God, today... Because you, God, right now, because you, God, this moment in eternity, you offer us the strength that can never be broken. You offer us the vitality that cannot be disrupted by hell. You offer us the coming together of the power of God and the healing virtue of your word. Oh, Jesus, I bless your good name. I'm talking about three strands that are not quickly broken. Jesus, hallelujah. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Keeper of my soul, strength of my hands. Bless the awesome name of Jesus. Bless the awesome name of Jesus. God.